a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies, they're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, once again, here we go, charging headlong into wrong think. <laughs> Greetings, my fellow wrong thinker, and thanks for joining us here on the, on the program today. Okay, I have a couple of fairly heavy topics to tackle in this hour, but here's the good news. In the back half of the hour, I'm going to be joined by James R. Harrigan, uh, who is one of the co-hosts of the Words and Numbers podcast. And uh, I, this is probably just me, but uh, I, I love to hear what James has to say because no matter what's going on, I think he's got a great take on it, and I always feel encouraged. I don't know what it is. He would probably disagree with me saying he's just spreading sunshine everywhere he goes, but I feel better for having heard his take. Speaking of which, I've also got a, got a great uh, article coming up here uh, from Barry Brownstein, an essay on uh, why it's so important that we don't forget how much power we have over where we choose to focus our attention. Why is this important? Well, pull up a chair. I'll tell you exactly why. Because I have a question I want to pose, and this is, this is to illustrate um, why we have to be willing to be flexible and yet uh, you know, willing to, to acknowledge that uh, there are some things we don't control, and the things that we do have control over, well, that's the kind of stuff that uh, that's what we should be focusing on. So here's the question. You ready for this? What if 2021 is even more challenging than 2020? Come on, we've all heard people say, I just can't wait till this year is over, as if somehow by turning the calendar page, that is going to make the difference. That's going to, you know, magically make, you know, the the woes, the coronavirus, poof, gone. Financial worries, gone. International tensions, gone. Antifa will all go get uh, productive jobs and become, you know, productive members of society and stop being angry about everything. Nope. Probably not going to happen. There's an article here from Robert E. Wright. This is from the American Institute for Economic Research. Yes, 2021 could be worse. And I share this with you not to cause you concern or sleepless nights, but rather to, to face what could be some hard facts. And I say this from the standpoint of we're, we're better off if we're willing to face hard truths and, and, and accept them for what they are, because then once we've accepted, we can act and we can adapt and overcome as necessary. So some of the things that he recommends you keep an eye on for 2021, he says, I know a lot of folks on social media are pining for 21, 2021. rather. He says, don't kill the messenger, but next year could be much worse than 2020. For starters, coronavirus restrictions could get worse. Now, you may ask, but how? Well, coronavirus came close to causing a legitimate crisis only in the New York City area, and there only with help from Governor Cuomo's kill people in nursing homes policy. Not that they needed much help as the virus has mostly killed the frail and elderly, according to one study. People who normally would have died of the flu a year or two ago had not the last two flu seasons been relatively light. Moreover, he says death counts have been confusing. With documented instances of people dying in motorcycle accidents and from terminal cancer being counted as COVID-19 fatalities. 
He says death rates in the United States are running at 109% of expectations. But parsing everything out is difficult because the lockdowns caused additional deaths from suicide and abuse while decreasing deaths from motor vehicle and other accidents. He says definitive stats on the number killed by lockdowns as opposed to the virus, as opposed to old age and other comorbidities, may never be available. But even discerning the number of COVID-19 cases is problematic because many people who had the virus, especially early on, were never officially tested for it. On the other hand, tests report the formerly venerable New York Times now now may be returning mostly false positives because they're super sensitive and return only a binary yes or no response, even though being infected with a virus is a far different thing than being pregnant. Magnitudes matter when it comes to spreading the little sucker. He says another problem he's pointed out previously is that viral spread is usually not salient. So the scientists we're supposed to be following have never really tried to track an evolving polyglot mass this closely before. And he says they're clearly still pretty clueless about it all. But that's not a reason to panic about the virus. It's a reason to panic about the sanity or intentions of our leaders who need to pay for destroying our civil liberties on a wing and a prayer. In short, Robert E. Wright says, although the virus is less deadly than at first, and improvements, or rather treatments have improved, for example, by not putting people on those ventilators we so desperately thought we needed back in March, and the disease appears to have run its course in much of the country, politicians and media continue to stir up uncertainty, which they use to stoke fear in the public and continued compliance with government dictates, school closings, and such. He says, you, gentle reader, may be convinced it's largely hokum at this point, but that isn't going to help you if most of your neighbors still insist on masks, social distancing, talismans, and role-playing, though they are. He says if the more coronavirus, if more coronavirus restrictions seem unlikely, he goes, take a look at what's going on in Australia, which is creating a techno-police state in a reputed effort to save people from something that won't, indeed can't, hurt most of them. The recent federal court decision or federal district court decision smacking down Pennsylvania's lockdown is heartening, but he asks, what took so long? I called for attacking the constitutionality of lockdowns on due process on 5th and 14th Amendment grounds back in mid-April, but the Wisconsin Supreme Court responded appropriately and quickly in May. They were the only ones. The power-hungry alpha wolf of Pennsylvania wants the court's ruling not to hold until he can appeal it. Robert Wright says the audacity of that move should trouble anyone who thinks things cannot get worse. And, it, and it's not the, clear that masks and other social distancing mandates will meet the same fate as shelter-in-place orders and other core lockdown measures at least before 2021 rolls in. As John Tamney recently noted, and I think I shared this in yesterday's podcast, corona reverence is far more political than the believers have previously felt comfortable admitting. Now, a couple other quick things here that Robert Wright points out. How could 2021 be worse? Well, those mostly peaceful protests could get less mostly peaceful. I just saw an article today. This is an aside here. I just saw an article today. The property damage done by those BLM riots has exceeded any other form of property damage, you know, the dollar cost in history in the U.S. More than storms, hurricanes, earthquakes, the Great Depression, I don't know. The, the, but the deliberate destruction of property, it's greater than any disaster that we have seen yet in this nation's history. 
Let that sink in. Robert E. Wright says America has a long history of riots that make even looted retail stores, torched buildings, and occupied precincts look like a walk in the park by comparison. But he says with so much at stake in the presidential election, due to our inability and unwillingness to curb the federal government's power, both sides have incentives to rile up their bases when one or the other side loses this November. Where it ends, nobody knows, but he says the historical precedents are frightening. Now, he gives some good historical examples. I'm not going to have time to go through all of them, but uh, he talks about some of these historical riots and, and he even talks about uh, what we call the Civil War, but what's the, uh, the, you know, the, the war between the states. One thing he says is, now imagine 2020's murder hornets, COVID-19 lockdowns, urban riotous uprisings and such, but with enemy aircraft overhead and missiles inbound because we are also at war with Iran or China or Russia or North Korea or all of them. I know, he's looking at a worst-case scenario, but think of some of the things that are going on right now, geopolitically. And he says America's rulers might be interested in fomenting a war about now to distract from domestic difficulties. They're likely under the silly misapprehension that war is good for the economy. He says that sounds crazy, but remember we're talking about the same brainiacs who gave up the growth-inducing free trade consensus for tariffs, industrial policy, and anti-price gouging laws. And here's one final gem. He says, while a new year is defined by the amount of time it takes the Earth to revolve once around the sun, when a new year begins is arbitrary and varies over cultures. So there's Chinese or Jewish New Year's. And he says, the new year in the Christian Western world, in fact, used to begin in March, which is why the names of our months don't correspond with their current number. Sept equals seven, but it's the ninth month of the year currently. Oct is eight. That's the 10th month, November 9th and December, of course, 10th. So he says, buck up, buckaroos, because 2021 is just a cultural construct. Anyway, (laughs) the world will improve not on an arbitrary day, but when you all decide to make it a better place. Okay, so that's some pretty good food for thought, but it's also a pretty good, uh, well, reality supplement of some of the things which can and may go wrong next year. Now, when we come back, lest this uh, has caused you some depression, I've got a great essay from Barry Brownstein that I think will lift your spirits and maybe get your uh, mind where it needs to be. This is The Brian Hyde Show. If your credit card bills have gotten out of hand and you care about your credit, call Consolidated Credit now. If the interest rates on your credit cards are so high, it'll take years to get out of debt. Call Consolidated Credit now. They've helped over 6 million people with credit card debt. Without destroying your credit, they can consolidate your debts into one lower payment, reduce your interest rates, and get you out of debt fast. The program works. Call Consolidated Credit now. Call 800-406-0046. 800-406-0046. That's 800-406-0046. Consolidated Credit Counseling Services, Inc. 5701 West Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33313. Licensed by the New York Department of Financial Services and by the Vermont Department of Financial Regulation. Maryland DM 1492. Oregon DM 80092. Licensed by the Virginia State Corporation. Commission license number DC83. Service may adversely affect the individual's credit. Non-payment of debt may lead to additional finance charges or collections activity, including legal action, not a loan company. 
Gold prices keep climbing and just hit an all-time high. COVID-19 and battered global economies are sending investors to the safe haven of physical gold to avoid losing value in their IRAs, 401ks, and stocks. Don't stand on the sidelines and wonder what the stock market is going to do next. Protect and grow your financial future today with a call to American Bullion, the leader in gold investments. You have valid concerns, and we have simple solutions for all needs and budgets. In fact, we specialize in first-time gold buyers as well as veterans. Find out about American Bullion's hassle-free process to transfer any portion of your IRA, 401k, or stocks into the long-term safety of a gold IRA today. Call 800-GOLD-IRA and ask for our free gold guide. That's 800-465-3472. 800-GOLD-IRA. Grow your financial future with the rising value of physical gold and protect yourself during this worldwide crisis. Call the leader, American Bullion. 800-GOLD-IRA. You know, it's true. Difficult times have a way of focusing us. We have to think about what matters most when it comes to our spending, our health care. No doubt. This is why so many people are joining MediShare right now. MediShare is a trusted way to save up to 50% on your monthly health care costs. More than 400,000 people have already made the switch. It's pretty obvious why, too, especially now during this challenging season with health care costs and out-of-pocket expenses going up. MediShare can save you a lot of money. The typical family saves $500 a month. And MediShare is a Christian health care sharing ministry that's worked beautifully for 27 years. There are different options to choose from to fit your budget. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Maybe now is the perfect time to make the switch and start saving. Here you go. Call 833-34-BIBLE. That's 833-34-BIBLE. 833-34-BIBLE. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Again, James Harrigan joins me in the next half hour. We'll get to that in just a few minutes, but since I gave you some bad news to kind of start off the show today, Robert E. Wright's uh, column on 2021 could be worse than 2020. By the way, I recommend read it in its entirety. You can find it in the show notes, which I publish each time I do this program at the thebrianhideshow.com. You're looking for the show notes for September 17th. By the way, happy Constitution Day. That's coming up in, in another hour. So... Yeah, things are pretty dire. You know, the the year has been challenging. It could get even worse. I know a lot of people are uh, they're having a hard time facing some very hard facts, myself included. I'm not sitting back here like, yeah, ain't no thing. You know, I'm 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 nervous. I'm concerned, and uh, I want to make sure that uh, that I'm doing my part, not to contribute to further chaos. Well, I saw this essay from Barry Brownstein published a couple of days ago. Booker T. Washington's Rule for Living. And this was just the shot in the arm that I needed. So, Barry, thank you for your wisdom, and thanks for sharing this story. This was just what I needed to help get my mind back on track. And he starts by referring to an 1895 speech in which Booker T. Washington shared a parable about a ship lost in saltwater seas and dangerously out of drinking water. Suddenly, the lost ship sees another friendly vessel, and Booker T. Washington said, From the mast of the unfortunate vessel was seen a signal, Water! Water! We die of thirst! The answer from the friendly vessel came back at once, Cast down your bucket where you are. 
A second time the signal, Water, send us water, went up from the distressed vessel, and was answered, Cast down your bucket where you are. A third and fourth signal for water was answered, Cast down your bucket where you are. Now finally, the captain of the distressed vessel, at last heeding the injunction, cast down his bucket, and it came up full of fresh, sparkling water from the mouth of the Amazon River. The lost ship had drifted into safety. Now, Washington shared this parable as a lesson about race relations, but his wisdom is also a guide to our experience of life. Barry Brownstein says in this age of COVID-19, it is easy to think life is on hold. One day, some tell themselves when a COVID-19 vaccine is proclaimed safe and effective, we'll get back to living a full life. Cast down your bucket where you are is an admonition to be more present in this moment, in this life. Now, Barry talks about how a few weeks ago he was out walking his daily loop with an elevation gain of 450 feet. He says the day was hot and humid. His head was filled with thoughts of how miserable he felt. Approaching the first break in the climb, he says, I uncharacteristically turned around in retreat, my miserable thoughts intact. Voices rang out as I started down the hill. Barry, shouted four of my neighbors, waving me to turn around and join them. Present and engaging them in conversation, my thought-induced misery vanished. Now he says, in her book, Wrapped, Attention and the Focused Life, Winifred Gallagher offers this guidance. Who you are, what you think, feel, and do, what you love, is the sum of what you focus on. I'm sorry, this bears repeating. Who you are, what you think, feel, and do, what you love, is the sum of what you focus on. Now, Barry Brownstein says, It was good to be reminded the focus of my attention, not the world, creates my experience of life. Does my life have any meaning is a question many ponder. Today, among the young, suicidal thoughts are rampant. What if we could find meaning in our lives by being present to what now offers? He says, We live only in the present, but often our attention is on the past or the future. If only I should have or they should have. How dare they? When will they? Out of thoughts beginning with what if, we spin elaborate scenarios. Polly Behrens observes in her book, Coming to Life, there's a tendency to rush ahead after a what if. What if I can't? What if they won't? And these what ifs lure and threaten us into the future, making us take thought for ourselves and drowning out the thoughts that God is having for us. Barry says, often our attention goes to forming opinions about things that are none of our business. Or we notice a slight mistake someone makes and we're annoyed. Such mental habits mask the now. A call to cast down your bucket doesn't get through to us. He says research shows that the act of remembering is a faulty recreation of the past tainted by our current thinking. Regarding the future, shifting the spotlight away from speculation and attempts to control the uncontrollable helps us embrace what's in front of us. Behrens explains what might change if we understood our source is love. She says, the more we know that we are loved by God, the more lovingly we are seeing. The more lovingly we are seeing, the more loving we are being. Now he says about meaning, Behrens has this to say, meaning disappears when wanting takes over. And she adds, we are just reacting to our experience and thinking of what we want, what we suppose we know is best. But then the problem isn't really meaninglessness. It's the temper tantrum, the blind rage that won't see good. So Behrens offers us a simple example of presence shared by a young mother 
at a time before the coronavirus. This young mother said, We were sitting in Brooklyn on the front stoop, my husband and our two-year-old daughter and I. Our daughter was in her party dress. Amazingly, even though she had worn it to a party, it was still clean. So we thought maybe if we put her in a raincoat to eat this ice cream cone, she can keep her dress clean for one more wearing. There she was, in her raincoat, in the hot sun, and the ice cream was running all over the place. She was a complete mess. And it didn't matter. It was so wonderful. You know, Mark, I said to my husband, I think this is as good as it gets. Now, Barry Brownstein says, as Barron shared the story, she anticipated what you might be thinking. You might say, so what? Big deal. Why shouldn't she enjoy watching her daughter eat ice cream? She has no big problems to worry about. But he says, notice your own life. Barron's cautions, we almost always think we have something more important to worry about, so we're almost never aware of the fact that at least for this one moment, everything is perfect. Barron's gives a long list of distracting thoughts the mother could have been having. Here are a few. What would the neighbors think of her wearing such a warm coat in August? Watch out, it's dripping. What am I doing wasting my time here when I have so much important work to do before I go to the office tomorrow? She shouldn't have so much sugar. What are we going to have for supper? Which of us is going to fix it? Who's going to the store? Barry says the mother kept her focus on the now. Her thinking was not removing her from making the most of the present. And Barron's encourages us to engage in prayer and momentarily set aside all impressions of what seems to be going on and what we think we want and need and what we think we are for in order to allow ourselves to be inspired. Holy cow, that hits home. He says, as we set aside needless thinking, what seems meaningless becomes meaningful. No matter how much the world seems to be weighing us down, we can cast down our bucket where we are and find new possibilities. As we shift the focus of our attention, so changes our experience of life. Again, this is from Barry Brownstein. It's a, an essay entitled Booker T. Washington's Rule for Living. I will have this posted in the show notes, which you can find at thebrianhydeshow.com. This spoke to me in, in such a, a powerful way. Because I've caught myself here of late, thinking about the future, living in the future, living toward the future, and not really focusing on the here and now. And I had a very brief and blessed respite over the Labor Day weekend. I had the chance to go and travel and to, to spend some time with my biological mom and her family. Had a chance to spend some time at my brother and sister-in-law's cabin at Bear Lake. Just relaxing. Looking out over a peaceful, albeit somewhat smoky, countryside. And really being there in that moment. And that is a luxury I don't allow myself very often. And I bet you're probably, probably not so different from me. Look, I understand the difficulty level has been cranked up to 11 this year. We all have things that we see going on around us that are deeply distressing, not just now, but, you know, they're, they're distressing for what's coming, you know, in, in the near future. Don't let those things distract you from dropping your bucket where you are and drinking deeply of whatever goodness is around you. I promise you it's there. We just got to get in the habit of looking for it. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I am so happy to connect up once again with James R. Harrigan. He is one of the hosts of the Words and Numbers podcast, as well as, uh, let's see, what else? James, you I, you change your clothes in phone booths. Uh, I know there's a cape involved. I think you have a letter on your chest. I'm probably missing some of the stuff you're doing. But uh, anyway, hey, welcome back to the show. Thanks. It's nice to be here, Brian. Uh, I do wear a pair of eyeglasses, and that <laughs> that makes sure nobody can figure out who I am for some reason. It's it's also to protect the world from your uh, your uh, laser gaze. Or am I confusing you with one of one of the other X Men? But yeah, I think I I don't think I'm a superhero, Brian, because I find I can't stand up straight in the morning. So you know, maybe I'm the superhero on the downward uh, the the downward slope. But we do what we can. I just know you are one of the busiest guys that I know, and I mean busy in all the right ways. And we'll actually talk about that in the second segment about how people stay busy when the rug is yanked out from under them, so to speak. But I want to pick your brain a little bit this time around about the upcoming election. Perhaps you've heard of it. Uh, yeah, I, I've gotten some pieces of mail. <laughs> I'm watching the, the two-party system. It's in full cry. I mean, the, the shrillness is reaching levels only my dog can fully appreciate. Talk to me about third parties. What is your take on third parties? Is, is there ever going to be a point? where there is going to be a meaningful challenge to the two-party stranglehold? I mean, my my knee-jerk reaction is to start with no. That's never going to happen. And I think people can see all the reasons why that's likely never to happen. But if you take a look at the American constitutional structure, and then you take a look at American history, you come away with a pretty pretty keen observation. Third parties don't last long. And that, there's a number of reasons for that. But really, on the most optimistic side, third parties don't last long because they become second and then first parties, right? So we, we don't operate in a parliamentary system where it does anybody any good to get 7% of the vote. So, you know, really, it, it ends up being a two-party contest for winner-take-all stakes. But we do, look, we don't have it in our history, right? yours and mine, as we have walked the earth. But people don't really realize this. The Republican Party was a third party, right? And first they ran some people in 1852 and 1854. It doesn't really quite work out. 1860 comes along and the third party becomes the party that has a, a stranglehold on the presidency. And isn't that fascinating? Right. So you can kind of see what what ends up happening, given our structure here. You'll never be a permanent third party, at least not a successful one. You can make the case right now, I think, that the Libertarian Party uh, has this reputation as a perpetual third party. But even though I may be sympathetic to their views, even I don't take them seriously. Right. Every time I see some libertarian function, I see a guy with a boot on his head. I see a I see a naked guy running around. Right. I see the pr vice presidential candidate sitting shirtless for a, an interview. I mean, these people don't take themselves seriously. So it's it's not hard to see why nobody else takes them seriously. And, you know, we've got the Greens and the Constitution Party, all this kind of stuff. But these are these are fringe elements. And that's right where they're going to stay. Is, is there any chance that either the Democrats or the Republicans will go the way of the Whigs? I, I thought so for a very long time. I thought that the Democratic Party was very likely to go out of business because they were the party of a giant coalition. Right? They didn't have 
one or two or three things that they all believed to their core, like the Republican Party did in 1860 as an anti-slavery party. Right. There was no one issue. There were a lot of secondary and, and smaller issues, and they banded together and had this tacit agreement to support each other's issues. And it worked pretty well. But you can see where people have that kind of difference of, op of opinion. It's probably the case that they could come to loggerheads. And don't you know, uh, my predictive abilities were really quite terrible because that never even came close to happening. But on the Republican side, all of a sudden you see real rifts. And I wonder if the Republicans continue on as this populist party that they've become under Donald Trump, or if that causes enough friction that they have to redefine themselves or even disappear. So I think if one party is likely to disappear now, it's the Republicans. But I don't see it happening anytime soon. I was reading an essay by Thomas Knapp um, last week. And he broke down some of the, the voter totals for the 2016 election. And I think he also broke down some of the interim elections since the midterm ones. And specifically, Donald Trump, um, Mitch McConnell, and Nancy Pelosi. And what was fascinating about the numbers that he produced was he said every one of these candidates won with, with uh, nothing near a majority of people, let alone, you know, you know the, the voters. And, and he says, this means that there's a great undecided out there. And, and I'd like to get your perceptions on, are there people out there who can still be reached who really aren't, you know, they haven't planted the flag on one side or the other? And, and if so, how do you reach those people? There's always some of those people, right? So anything I say, just remember, we started there. There's always some. But there aren't many. What, what you find is that I, I can say two things with relative certitude. First... The people who didn't vote will break down roughly the same way as the people who did vote. You just end up increasing the numbers. The percentages are going to be about the same across the board. So there you go, right? There's people who say things like, we really need to get everybody in America voting. That's just stupid. Of course, we don't need to do that. Um, in a free country, the people who want to vote should, and the people who don't care shouldn't. And I think it's just that simple. But the, the second bit here is pretty interesting. Many of them really don't care. And political science and economics, they study these people. And it seems that some people think of themselves, and the, the terms that are used are generally always the same, homo politicus, the political man, homo economicus, right? The, the economic man, things like this. And what you end up finding is that a lot of people just want to be left alone. They think it's much more important that they get their lawn mowed or rake the leaves or, or even sit down and watch a sitcom with their children than it is to go into a voting booth and pulling a, a lever. Um, and I think there's something very healthy about that. If you really think about it, you don't see a lot of demonstrations, at least not on the political side about candidates and, and things like this. And that, that's a bit of an indicator that people are relatively happy or happy enough to let it escape their gaze. And I think real health is when nobody pays any attention to politics. And I would really like us to get to that point. But of course, human nature being what it is, that's not terribly likely. So I'll take the, the fact that half of us stay home as good news. And I, I put myself among them from time to time. If I'm living in a state and it's very clear that my vote will not matter in any way, shape or form, and here's a bad, a bad thing to know, 
your vote will never actually matter in any way, shape or form. But if it's really ridiculous, I'll just stay home because why wouldn't I? I have better things to do. See, now that's where I find myself as, as well, or at least I have. Now, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm having a change of heart. And frankly, I'm a little bit scared about it because um, I'm finding myself. I would not willingly walk into Donald Trump's corner. But I feel like I'm being pushed there by some of the groups and people that are opposing him. And that, well, it's 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 disturbing to me because I'd really I'd rather be the person to whom politics. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. But with some of the people who are vying for power, I'm having a sense that maybe maybe it does matter. And you remember that that was what almost everybody said in 2016. And as you go back in four-year chunks, you see it happening over and over again. The interesting thing right now is that most people take a look at both candidates and see no good option. And they think to themselves, all right, what about these third-party weirdos? And they look at them and they see no good option. And really, there's your problem. Our system produces candidates that the vast majority of people don't exactly want. And, and that's a democratic outgrowth, right? A, not a democratic party, a small d democratic outgrowth. And I've often said, well, wouldn't we be better off if those smoke-filled rooms at the conventions actually produced consensus picks? And people, people have a, a bad reaction to that. But then you say, okay, who's the candidate in the last, oh, I don't know, 40 years who you thought was worth paying attention to? And they don't really have an answer to that question. Some people will say, well, Obama was okay. Other people say, well, Reagan was okay. But these are drops in buckets. So maybe we'd be better off making the, the, the candidate preference system a little less democratic instead of more. Maybe we'd get better options. I think I'm to the point where I would seriously consider a draft for people to serve in political office. I think they ought to be dragged kicking and screaming with their neighbors saying, look, we trust you. So, Jim, you're you're our guy. We want you to go represent us in Congress for two years, and it's a huge sacrifice for you, and, and maybe you're not even happy about it, but because they put their trust in you, you go and you do it, and when it's done, you're out of there. To me, that uh, that would make some sense. It, it sounds ideal in a lot of ways, doesn't it? <laughs> well, a guy can dream, right? <laughs> All right, we've got to take a quick break. My guest is James R. Harrigan. We will be back just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. If your credit card bills have gotten out of hand and you care about your credit, call Consolidated Credit now. If the interest rates on your credit cards are so high, it'll take years to get out of debt. Call Consolidated Credit now. They've helped over 6 million people with credit card debt. Without destroying your credit, they can consolidate your debts into one lower payment, reduce your interest rates, and get you out of debt fast. The program works. Call Consolidated Credit now. Call 800 406 0046. 800 406 60046. That's 800 406 0046. Consolidated Credit Counseling Services, Inc., 5701 West Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33313. Licensed by the New York Department of Financial Services and by the Vermont Department of Financial Regulation, Maryland DM 1492, Oregon DM 80092. Licensed by the Virginia State Corporation, Commission License Number DC 83. Service may adversely affect an individual's credit. Non payment of debt may lead to additional finance charges or collections activity, including legal action, not a loan company. 
Welcome to Tax Talk with Hollywood legend Bob Eubanks. You know, as part of Hollywood for a long time, I've seen my fair share of celebrities get in trouble with the IRS. Well, there's one name I trust, the Tax Defense Group. They're the most trusted name in tax. So if you owe more than $10,000 to the IRS, you really need to call my friends at the Tax Defense Group. Ignoring the IRS is not the solution. They can garnish your paycheck, levy your bank accounts, seize your home or business. But the Tax Defense Group could put a stop to all of that and tailor a program that would reduce your tax debt to pennies on the dollar. You gotta love that. So don't just take my word for it. Call them. Find out for yourself. They offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee and they're open 24 hours a day because they know that tax debt doesn't sleep either. Call now for your free and confidential tax analysis from the most trusted name in tax. Call 800-832-1594. 800-832-1594. Thinking about life insurance? What if you could make one free phone call and learn your best price from nearly a dozen highly rated price competitive companies? Well, that's exactly what happens when you call SelectQuote Life. For example, George is 40. He was getting sky-high quotes from other companies because he takes meds to control his blood pressure. But when I shopped around, I found him a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $25 a month. I'm SelectQuote agent Dan Savino, and believe me, if SelectQuote isn't shopping for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For a free quote, call 800-523-3771. That's 800-523-3771. 800-523-3771. Or go to selectquote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your price could vary depending on your health issuing company and other factors. Not available in all states. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. My guest is James R. Harrigan. He is the uh, co-host of the Words and Numbers podcast, as well as a guy who, who makes a pretty good mark in this world. I know. I, I wanted to ask you, because just I, I know that uh, I have seen people talking about the book that you and your co-host, Anthony Davies, wrote. Uh, give us a brief plug on that, would you? Yeah, I would love to. It's called Cooperation and Coercion, and we take a look at those two concepts and think about them for a a bit and and come to the conclusion that all human life organizes around those two concepts. And you, you might think that we love one more than the other, and that's exactly correct. We do. We're big proponents of cooperation. But we also admit, I think, early on in the book and in a number of different places, that you can't really have a functioning republic without a little bit of coercion, too. So we want to carve out that reasonable space that gets it just right, admitting to ourselves that, yes, we might not like to be coerced, but every law code is definitionally coercion. And do you really want to live without a law code? Probably not, right? Probably not. There's and times and places where it's appropriate, but it's limiting it to those appropriate times. Yeah, that, that's right. And, and what I find is that we got back to uh, the kind of perspective that the American founders had when they started working on the Constitution with the failures of the Articles of Confederation. And they said, okay, we have to make this government very, very powerful in the objects it can legitimately touch, but we have to give it no authority in anything else. And that was the goal. And I think we're trying to push back towards that sort of goal as we look at the federal government now as a behemoth that just does whatever its members want. 
it seems to me that the message too would be very applicable right down to our personal lives only because i'm seeing a lot of coercion creep into every facet of of our you know of our lives come on you want to go grocery shopping you, you may encounter some coercion you know depending <laughs> on whether you wear a mask or not uh you know and the cooperation thing would, would really i think uh, take a lot of the unnecessary drama out of our lives but yeah and and the human element here is is quite meaningful and I'll give you a quick example. I'm on the, the, the neighborhood app for our neighborhood, and somebody posted a, a question, and it said, the people who live at the end of the street are listening to their music too loud late at night. Who should I call? And I responded immediately, I don't know, your neighbor? Maybe you should go have a word with that person. Um, but they were really asking if they should be calling the police or the sheriff. Right? And, and we've lost this interactive nature that is part and parcel of the human condition. We'd all get along a lot better if we looked each other in the eye a little bit more. As you know, I had the opportunity to to meet my biological mother um, yeah. within the last month and a half or so, and it's been an amazing experience. Something that her husband shared with me really stood out is how to handle that to when the neighbors are playing the music too loud. Uh, and, and I have deep respect for this guy for the way he handled this. Their neighbors are Hispanic. And they were listening to, I guess it was mariachi music or something. It was pretty loud. They were having a party. It was, you know, and there was, there was some good music going on there. And he walked over and he said, I could see the look in their eyes as I'm walking over. And they're like, oh, great. Here he comes to complain about our music. And uh, he came over and he said, hey, I wanted to talk to you about your music. And they're like, yeah. He said, could you turn it up so we could hear it too? And, and they are tight. They, I mean, he's, he's as good as a member of the family now with yeah. those neighbors because he chose to handle it with cooperation rather than, well, let's bring the police in here and have some coercion and see what happens then. Yeah, a smile goes a long way. And I think people tend to forget that. And you see it every day when they interact online. They're just being so obnoxious all the time. And that tends to pollute our physical three-dimensional lives as well. And I think people just need a reminder that that's inappropriate. It doesn't really take a lot. I, I find that you can take the wind out of their sails by a little, with a little bit of humor, right? Or, or rolling your eyes a little bit and saying, come on, man, you could do better than that. And, and people, I think, want to be decent to each other. I think we're wired that way. But some people need to be reminded a little bit. I want to shift gears because there's a topic you and I have discussed a little bit off the air that I think is, is really relevant to a lot of people. And that is uh, this year, with all of the lockdowns and the uncertainty, for a lot of folks, it feels like the rug has been pulled right out from under us financially. Um, job yeah. opportunities lost. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you how many business owners I've talked to who were, were either shut down because their business wasn't essential or just things dropped off because people were social distancing and would no longer you know, patronize their, their business or their restaurant. Talk to me about how an entrepreneur approaches situations like this where you really don't have a lot of control over some of these externalities, but that doesn't mean you're completely without a say. Yeah, no, that's exactly correct. You're not completely without a say. And, you know, we could go all the way back to Machiavelli in the 15th century, right? And, and, and he had the sensible outlook that you're only in control of about half of your life. The other half is chance, random chance. And I've always been comforted by that, right? Because the pandemic comes and I have to realize a couple of things. I'm not going to be able to live the way I did a month ago, right? It's not my fault, but I still can't live that way. But then you think about that old Chinese proverb, right? That every crisis is really an opportunity. 
and I start asking different sorts of questions because I'm one of the people who couldn't make the same living I made before and after this this virus came along. All right, so what can I do? That's always the question, right? And that's the question that entrepreneurs ask just as a matter of their nature. They always wake up and think, okay, what can I do today to make my fellow citizens happy? And And that's the sentence that actually gets you wealthy. What can I do to make other people happy? And I remember when I realized this was a long time ago, I was a an assistant professor at a third rate school. It was going nowhere fast and I was miserable. And I realized that, okay, if all of those things are true, it's on me. It's not everybody else's fault. It's my fault. And at that moment, I, I decided to always be in the happiness business. I do a number of things, and you know them. I talk on the radio. I write a pod. I, I I have a podcast. I write lots of articles. I write a book. But really, what I'm in is in the happiness business. I have a market, and I choose and I strive to make them happy. And to the extent that I can do that, I can make a nice living. To the extent that I can't do that, I have to re-examine my my ideas and see if I could do better. And when the when this pandemic came along, it gutted everybody, me included. And I probably was better off than some and worse off than others. And, you know, that's always the story. But you realize that you had better pivot. And if you're making your living speaking in public, well, guess what? Nobody's going outside anymore. You better find a new way. And you can complain about how unfair that is or you can get busy trying to do better. And I, I chose the second largely because I had no choice. I have I have a family and a mortgage and all the things that we all have to deal with. So not making a living was not on, on the list of possible outcomes. You, you figure it out as you go. And, and entrepreneurs are light on their feet. They pivot on a dime and they figure it out. And I think entrepreneurship, the entrepreneurial aspect of our character is something we all share in. Some people develop it more than others, but I think we all have it. And why do I, I think that? Well, everywhere I look, I see people trying to do better with what they've got. And that's what entrepreneurs do. They look around, they see what they've got access to, and they figure out how to package that up and put it right back out where they found it. And, that, and that's a nice kind of way to look at the world. It's only as I try to access that part of my brain that I realize, man, I have spent a lot of my life, though, not wanting to be an entrepreneur. Because I That's wanted right. security. No, 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 yep. no, no. I'll just, I don't want the risk. I don't want to think these things through or figure it out. I just want a nice, fat, steady paycheck. Yeah, who, who doesn't though, right? Who doesn't want that? But, but here's the thing. If you can decide what kind of life you really want, and the money is just an instrumentality to get the life you want, right? Nobody really works to get money. They work to store wealth in the form of money that they can then use to buy other stuff that they really want. Well, if you can decide the kind of life you want, just start living it. Cut the, just cut it out. Go live the life you want and figure out how to pay for it as you go. Because that's really how successful people do it. They figure out exactly the kind of life that they want. They start living it. And don't you know, things either fall into line or they don't. And if they fall into line, congratulations, you had this really good element of your personality and you can make anything work. If, if it doesn't, 
well, you better get back to the drawing board and figure out where you went wrong, because this is a you problem, not an everybody else problem. James, I'm sad to say we are up against the clock here, but uh, let's take a moment, tell people where they can find the Words and Numbers podcast. Oh, sure. You can find Words and Numbers anywhere you get your podcasts, but you can also chase us down at wordsandnumbers.org. Um, you can find our book, Cooperation and Coercion, and Amazon or any place else that sells books. And you can join me on Twitter and find out all the other stuff that I push out pretty regularly at James R. Harrigan. Okay. Well, if your mission was to make people happy, let me tell you, mission accomplished, because I'm happier for having spoken with you. James, thanks. I hope we get to talk again real soon. Me too. This is The Brian Hyde Show.